Well, welcome back to our Lead Bold community and listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of our podcast. We're going to be doing something a little bit different today as we're going to be focused in a discussion with none other than Nancy Beach. Uh, if any of you remember Nancy from a previous episode, you know that she has been in extensive ministry for years with over 20 years serving as the program director at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. She's a celebrated author. She now serves at Soul City Church in downtown Chicago, and uh, we're going to be discussing a book that she wrote with her daughter, Sam Beach Kylie. That book is called Next Sunday, an honest discussion for the future of the church. We're so excited for this episode with Nancy. We do want to have a quick disclaimer at the beginning. There's a little bit of a technical difficulty on my part when it came to my audio, so you're going to hear a tad bit of an echo, but pay it no mind and don't let it draw away from the amazing wisdom you're going to hear from Nancy today. We hope you enjoy this discussion, and here is Andrea. Today in our Lead Bold podcast episode, we have invited back our good friend, Nancy Beach, because we wanted to go a little bit away from what we normally talk about, our three questions that we ask, and instead talk to her about her book, Next Sunday, which she co-wrote with her daughter, Samantha. And in particular, we were focused in on the chapter called When Harry Works with Sally. It is an honest and open dialogue about the trouble and the difficulty that there is sometimes when men and women work together in the church. We'll talk about why is it so tough? Why does it go wrong so often? And of course, we wanna give you some hope as well. So we'll talk about how we can make it better and what she's learned along her journey. So we're so glad that you're with us and we know you'll enjoy this episode with Nancy Beach. Well, hello, Lead Bold community. We are here with another podcast episode that's a little bit different, but I'm so excited about this conversation. I'm here with my co-host, Aaron Hanley. Hi, Aaron. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. Absolutely. And I want to give a special welcome to our guest, Nancy Beach. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you today. So, Nancy, we already got to have an awesome conversation with you about just our normal things that we ask, our word and our warning and our wow. But we wanted to do this special bonus episode to really be able to talk about your book and, in particular, a certain chapter of that book that ties very well to our community. So I guess my first question, I just want to jump right in. Tell us about your book. Why did you write it? And um, who did you write it with? (laughs) Yes, uh, I wrote a book with my daughter. I have two daughters, my older daughter, uh, Samantha. Uh, Basically, uh, the book's called Next Sunday, and it's a dialogue about the future of the church. And it's rather audacious to think any of us really know, you know, what the future of the church looks like, especially now as we're coming out of this pandemic. But Uh, We were asked to think about this from our two different generations. So I'm a baby boomer and my daughter's a 32-year-old millennial. Uh, We don't pretend to represent our whole generation, but we are speaking through that lens, each of us. And we decided to um, think about seven distinctives that we think are important for the future of the church. Um, And then we each wrote a chapter on each of those distinctives. It's not like an argument. Uh, We agree on more things than not. Um, But it was a delightful experience to do it with my daughter. That's such a cool idea to be able to do that. Now, did you find that you guys changed what you wrote based on each other's perspective or what each other was writing? 
Well, at the time, um, she was living in Austin, Texas, and I'm in Chicago. And so we would write our chapters independently and then send them to each other and give each other thoughts and feedback and edits and that sort of thing. Um, honestly, Samantha is an excellent writer. Just the craft of writing is one of her primary gifts. So I would read her chapter and just want to tear mine up, you know, <laughs> half the time. I used to tell her, I hope, I hope people will just skip my chapters and read yours. Um, but no, she's really a, a very um, thoughtful, gifted writer, and I'm so proud of her. Um, but it was fun to exchange ideas, to see what direction she would go with a, a subject and what direction I would go. And um, I think it turned out to be two strong voices uh, in the end. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and it's very much sort of that idea of each of you living into your voice and your gifts and how they do complement each other. So, But I know what you're saying. When you read somebody else's something and you're like, wait a minute. It's it's so it's so well written. I want to write like that. Especially well, when it's family too. I was gonna say there's that element of like, you know, I think co-writing and blending ideas is always a you know it it has like a, a tricky balance to that and an, an additional kind of depth if it's someone who's related to you. Well, some of us grew up hating group projects in school. You know, um, you just wanted to do them independently. Um, but we did not sit down and try to craft sentences together. That would have made us crazy. You know, we were kind of doing our chapters independently. So that made it much more fun. Well, um, I have, and our Lead Bold community, I, I can presume, has a special interest in Chapter 5. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about. Um, it is called When Harry Works with Sally. And you guys delve into this um, this dynamic of men and women working together, in particular in the church. And of course, in that conversation has to come the part where we talk about how it's gone wrong and what it means for coming next. Um, now, I'm guessing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm guessing this conversation in particular is probably not somewhere that you ever expected to be a leading voice in, but... Um, your experience has kind of taken you there. And so I want to thank you for being brave and doing that. Um, I want to read this this sentence out of the chapter toward the beginning. And maybe you could just talk a little bit about why this topic matters to you and, um, you know, why it should matter to all of us. Uh, you wrote, The wonder of partnership, as I believe God intended for it to be lived out among us, is not the experience of many. Can you just share a little bit about why this chapter mattered to you and this topic and how we can lean into having this conversation? Yes, uh, I can imagine that um, many women, including the two of you and myself, um, can relate to growing up and uh, recognizing kind of how God made you. And for me, uh, early on, I started to sense that I was a leader. I wouldn't use those words necessarily, but um, I, I began to recognize that I led in my neighborhood and at school and whatever setting I was in. And I wondered if I could ever lead in the church because I grew up going to church and I didn't really have a picture of women leading up front except for uh, in children's ministry and in women's ministry. But other than that, I, I never saw women have an opportunity to actually lead men and be up front unless they were singing a solo, you know, in church. And so I, I thought what maybe a lot of young women think, which was, you know, that's fine. I will use my leadership and my gifts out in the world somewhere. 
and you know whether it be the marketplace or academics or entertainment or wherever it is and then you know I'll volunteer at my church and I'll still follow Jesus and all that but I'm not really gonna hope that I will ever really have a leadership role in the local church um, so this subject matters to me because uh, the as I grew older I realized that in my opinion uh, and the opinion of many that is not God's design that we just sideline women who have leadership gifts or say you can use it other places but don't bring it in here um, that grieves me deeply because it's a loss for everyone it's not just a loss for those women it's a loss for men it's a loss for the church as a whole um, it's a loss for young people who are watching um, so yeah I care very very much about this and uh, when I said it hasn't been the experience of many um, I wasn't only referring to women being given the opportunities to lead but even when they are uh, given that opportunity Sadly, there's been um, many, many uh, stories of pain and struggle and not really being freed up to use their voice. Um, so, yeah, I, I carry a lot of passion about this. Yeah, I imagine that you get to talk to and have heard from a lot of women who maybe have had similar you know, kind of backstories as you. Um, you know, you've been in a place where you have been exposed to or women have been exposed to you and to your leadership I mean do you find that you just hear stories across the gamut I do and of course churches are all over the place on this issue so you know there's a theological point of view um, that is either egalitarian or what's called complementarian and everything in between um, depending on what roles uh, you, your church believes it's okay for women to fulfill. Um, so, there's, so there's that piece. But in addition to that, um, there's just the practical everyday, what is it like trying to lead together with respect, with mutual respect? Um, is your voice welcome or are you feeling in many ways like you're often interrupted or um, you're not valued the way that you wish you, you could be, that your ideas are not taken seriously in some places or worse, Maybe other people, other men take credit for the ideas that you actually had. And so, yeah, I hear a lot of those stories. Now, I have to say, I hear some positive stories, too. It's not all doom and gloom. And um, there are some women who are thriving uh, using their gifts in the church. And I celebrate that. But I wish I wasn't also hearing uh, so many other stories. Yeah, I think something we hear a lot as well is the compartmentalization of where women are allowed to work. Like if they are given the opportunity, you can funnel your gifts into children's ministry or you can funnel those gifts into the women's ministry, right? And that, you know... And for some people like me, when I kind of saw those two options, first of all, before I had my own children, I really didn't like children all that much. So I thought I don't really want to do children's ministry. And honestly, a room full of only women kind of creeped me out. I, I didn't know if we were going to have to do a craft project or what, mm -hmm. you know, what the deal was going to be. I had, <laughs> I had uh, some preconceived ideas that weren't, weren't necessarily true, but they gave, made me nervous. I wanted to just use my gifts in the church. In my case, it was in the area of the arts and worship. I just wanted to use my gifts and have it be an a a sort of like, oh, and by the way, the person who leads that department happens to be a woman. I mean, I, I didn't want to lead with gender. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved working alongside 
men who became like my brothers. And I think that's the model in the New Testament that we are brothers and sisters. And to use that term uh, had a lot of weight back then. Uh, it meant a lot if you called someone your brother or her sister who you weren't really related to. Um, so that's how I came to find a sense of family in the church. And some men who to this day are my brothers and we've done life together. And so I know it's possible. And I also believe it's possible without sexual sin and, and, you know, getting off on the wrong path. Um, I, I believe we can do this because I've experienced it and I've watched it happen in some other places too. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that idea of siblings, uh, sisters and brothers, because you lay that out as you know, a model that is a healthy and appropriate and a model that is the way God designed it. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what, how do we lean into that? How do we change our perspective to really move toward a sibling mindset? Yes. Now, some people might hear this and think, well, I fought with my brother all my life or something. You know, maybe it's not, it's not a pretty picture when you think about your biological family. In my case, I have two sisters and one brother biologically, and my brother and I are very close. And I would love to have that kind of relationship with all the men that I work with that, you know, I have with my brother. Um, we, we have some similar gifts and some things very different about one another. We honor each other. He follows Christ as I do. And, you know, I just delight in his life as a father of four and now a grandfather. And um, he delights in, in what my life is about. And I think that is the picture of what it can be like in the church um, when we come alongside someone of a different gender and we think, oh, wow, you know, I want to understand better how you think and what lens you look at the, at the world through and what your voice is. And I want to honor your voice and free up your voice um, to, to have a place here. And when that happens um, and we mutually respect each other and we care about spiritual formation, which I think is, is vital, if each of us is, is focusing on walking with Jesus day by day and surrendering ourselves, then the potential for falling to temptation and getting out of line and all the things everybody's so scared of um, is highly unlikely when, when we're walking with God the way we're meant to. Yeah, it's such a good picture of, of being sort of members of a family that can be for each other um, and can step into their strengths. You know, you think about your family or your siblings and everyone's kind of different role in the family and, and in a healthy setting he knows what you're good at and what you're going to attend to when it comes to the family dynamic, and you probably know what he does. So I really like that sense of kind of looking beyond the gender in a in a way that sometimes can get in our way and instead think about it like brothers and sisters. It's so freeing. There's that passage in the Bible, and I think it's often referred to as kind of like for marriage, right? A strand of three cords is not easily broken, right? It's often attributed to uh, romantic or marital relationships. I think that it is something that holds much more holistic weight as to how we work for the kingdom as people, right? That it isn't just enough to be alone and with the Lord. It's so important to have community. That way that strand is not easily broken. I've always thought that that imagery was so important, and it's very echoed in uh, what you've written, Nancy, that the community piece of this is so impactful for everyone's success. Yes, and there's a, um, 
danger right now more than ever in our culture of isolation and loneliness. Um, we see it <clears throat> in younger people, but also my generation. I just think uh, COVID exacerbated all of this and people are sort of finding themselves awkward and tentative as we come back into relating and being with uh, one another. And so I think community and men and women side by side um, is vital going forward for us to, to, to recapture the joy that God wants his children to have of being together. That word together is all over the New Testament. They broke bread together. They witnessed about Jesus together. They shared their possessions. They ate together. Um, all of it was together. And right now, um, many of us are way more isolated than is healthy for, for ongoing flourishing as, as a child of God. Yeah, it's good to have that permission to step back in and to not be afraid and to do it in a healthy way. You know, I'm really excited about this phrasing in this conversation about siblings because it actually dovetails so well into something that we're going to be talking about at the Lead Bold Chicago conference. Um, Jackie Reese uh, is going to be coming up from Texas and leading one of our workshops. So I want to just share about that a little bit. So for you women listening who are maybe going to be with us in Chicago in November, if you, if this idea of siblingship intrigues you and gives you really somewhere to go when you think about your relationship, your working relationship and leading relationship with men, this is one you want to go to. So it's called In It Together. There's that word together. In It Together, Men and Women in Ministry. And what she says kind of, and this is on the website, is uh, God's kingdom strategy, his unstoppable force for good in the world, is the brother-sister model. And in this workshop, we'll look at God's design for us as siblings. So this is this is a such a good conversation to have. Let's keep having it. All right, I want to jump to another question that I have for you. Let me get to the right page here in my book. I'm going to read a little bit of a long quote, but I want to I want to just ask you, um, you know, to talk to us about this. What is how do we step into this? What's our responsibility? How can we change these things? Um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit already, Nancy. But here's what you wrote. I find myself carrying a heavy weight of concern that all the examples of sin will lead to an overreaction where men and women feel so afraid and awkward that we run to our separate corners. The church worldwide, worldwide often responds with a sort of Puritan approach, erecting a huge barricade between men and women, setting up 20 new rules about how we can never be alone together with someone from the opposite sex in an elevator, a car, an office, or a restaurant. These rules make it even more difficult for women to lead to do our job. Can you just talk a little bit about that burden that you carry and how do we engage in that problem as women when it seems like we don't really have a lot of control over it? Correct. Um, well, first of all, you know, we're all seeing the same headlines and we all know about some of the more prominent moral failures that have happened. Um, they've been happening for a long, long time. It just seems like in the last five years, we're hearing an acceleration of them. And I think maybe social media has obviously awakened us to situations we never would have heard about before. Um, so the fear, I understand. I understand the fear. Um, the fear, even of spouses, you think of a, of a woman who's married to a man who works at a church, concerned about her husband going to the office and, you know, hearing these stories of others 
who have fallen and you can understand why there's so much anxiety about it and therefore we basically want to hide and we want to separate and and I, I get that it makes sense um, but I don't think that's the way forward and I also don't think more rules are the way forward and I certainly don't want to argue with those who have some guidelines in their staff about men and women and you know I, I understand all of that I just don't think that is the ultimate solution um, I think we can have some guidelines but I also believe that people historically have found their way around rules I mean if you wanna misbehave you're gonna you're gonna find a way to do that that's why I think it's a heart change fundamentally that that we need uh, a change of heart a, um, a real look at our shadow sides at our inner selves um, a willingness to um, when needed go to counseling or do whatever is necessary to work through the parts of us that are still broken the parts of us that still need to be transformed to the image of Christ and that's something I'm committed to doing personally and I I know you know so many others are on that path and that journey um, the rules thing, uh, the reason I said it makes it hard for a woman to do her job. When I, when I inherited um, a department that I was going to lead in the worship arts area, when I first inherited that team, they were all men. Um, subsequently, I hired several women to join us. But initially, I was the, the female leading this team of guys. And there are situations in which you need to have a meeting with, with an individual who reports to you. Um, if you want to keep the door open that's fine um, assuming it's not there aren't people like right outside listening to something that could be confidential but um, it makes it difficult you know to to do your job if you erect all these barriers and in the corporate world I think where there's also obviously as we look at the me too movement been trouble there as well um, I don't think the answer has been uh, that same approach that churches are taking um, they, they they're recognizing that women for one thing younger women need mentors and sometimes they need mentors who are men sometimes you need to learn from a, a guy who has really um, developed skills in a certain area and if his only focus can be on young men women lose out and they don't they don't get to learn from that individual so uh, I, I think it's more complex than just uh, setting up these rules and I do think there's a way forward that is a healthier a healthier path I couldn't agree more I think what we often see is it diminishes the ability to have camaraderie I have an example of a church I'm aware that I have awareness of who they wanted to have like a staff retreat so they like rented this huge big cabin and then they invited everyone, but the ladies could only stay for the day and then they had to leave, right? Um, because they couldn't stay and the rest of the men were staying. And so it just diminishes any of that, like more organic connection ideas and conversations that may have happened, right? Some of those things that are diminished by the, the heavy sense of caution. But I couldn't agree more about like it being a heart piece. I think so many uh, staff groups in, in ministry don't necessarily have like someone who is specific in HR who has experience in HR or has experience in um, psychology or counseling right that often happens sometimes outside which is fine as well but I think if you want to have a healthy working staff and make sure that you're um, not only catering to needs of individuals but the, the potential for some situations like this 
having requirements for your staff to also have counseling and, and have opportunities to be checking their heart as opposed to just kind of an assumption that you know they've got it handled because they seem like they have it all together some of those things i think would be so beneficial for church staffs who can facilitate that is making sure their staff has counseling opportunities and has accountability in that space that is specific to hr or <laughs> counseling yes and i also think uh one of the instincts i believe god gave me when i first started leading that department was to not be a mystery woman to the wives of these guys you know so I intentionally took them individually to lunch and I wanted them to know my story and I wanted to know their story and I wanted them to know that I'm very happily married and, you know, loving being a new mom and all those things that were going on at that time in my life. And I think that that helps um, with the anxiety factor if, if you're, you're, you're not just this hidden person at the office or whatever. But you're absolutely right, Erin. There are... Um, I mean, this is talked about a lot in the corporate world. For example, when men used to just do golf outings and women weren't included, um, business gets talked about on the golf course. That's why it's very much why many of them do it, you know, and they hang out together. Well, when you remove any opportunity for that kind of social piece for women, um, it's more than just, oh, they don't, they don't get to join in the fun. There's more to it than that. It, it, it's substantive. It has to do, you know, I knew a pastor who used to play basketball um, every Friday afternoon with just the guys um, and the women weren't invited. And there, there's nothing wrong with some activities that are just gender specific. I get that. But what would often happen is it turned into a meeting. You know, they would be playing basketball, then they'd take a break and they'd sit down, they'd talk about some really important strategic ministry stuff. And the women didn't have that access. So I think we've got to really think carefully the retreat example that you used. Um, what I would do is I would, if I was staying, if we we're staying in a private home and these days with VRBO, some police teams I know just get two homes right next to each other so that at night the women can sleep in a, in a different space. Um, but there are ways around this. Um, the other thing I want to say that uh, I think some women might be able to relate to is that when you erect these rules, um, it's somewhat, it feels to me, I'll just talk about my perspective. It feels insulting uh, to me because uh, I was uh, doing a coaching job at a church. I didn't know these people at all. And um, it was time to go to lunch. And the guy who led their worship ministry had to go find another person to drive in the car with us to get to lunch. Um, they called it the third. I got to go get a third, you know, somebody, it's basically like a chaperone or something. And we were driving 10 minutes to some restaurant to go to lunch. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you really think is going to happen here? I mean, I don't, I just met you. You think I'm going to attack you or something? It's just, it, it felt diminishing of valuing me as a sister in Christ and trusting my maturity in the Lord. And I don't know, it, it just, it feel, it makes you feel more like a sexual object. And that's not what I was mm -hmm that's not what I was trying to offer in that situation. And yet it diminishes you to feel that way. It's so complicated. There's so many layers. And, you know, in some ways, it does feel like as women, like how much can we change? But I appreciate when you're talking about reaching out really intentionally to the spouse of the men that you work with and hearing their story and sharing your story. 
Um, it actually ties really well to something that you talk about in the chapter about knowing our own story. What what are we coming from? What's our what's our experience? What's our theology? Um, I want to read this that you wrote here. You said the formation of our perspective on gender includes, of course, our theological view, um, what we've been taught about Scripture, um, but it also includes. And then you say, but also I see that our theology is only part of our story. Our comfort level or past experiences influence us as well. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of us knowing our own story, knowing what our theological understanding is, what we grew up with, what we saw growing up? Why does all that play so much into this dynamic? Well, it's a little bit more on the subconscious side, you know, but uh, I've noticed that when I work with men, for example, whose own mother, which was the case with my mother, um, was a full-time homemaker. Um, it's different than when I worked with men whose mother had an outside-the-home career as well. Um, also, men whose own spouse, whose own wife, um, has a, another job outside uh, the home. Uh, their lens, or the way they look at things, was just a little different than somebody who's spouse is a full-time homemaker. And I'm not diminishing any of those choices. I'm just saying we come to this, we don't come with a blank sheet of paper. So I tell the story of this senior pastor who was asked by a young woman leader if she could baptize someone who she had led to Christ. It was a young woman who actually asked her, would you be the one to baptize me? So she went to the lead pastor and she said, would it be okay if I participated in this baptism? And he said, you know what, we've never had women do that before. Let me think about that. To his credit, he didn't give her a quick answer. And he thought about it. And he came back later and he said, you know, I don't have a theological or scriptural reason not to. If I'm totally honest with you, it's just my comfort factor. I've never seen that, you know, growing up. That wasn't how we did it. Um, But I don't see any reason why you can't. And so he gave her that opportunity. And then from then on, uh, women participated in, in baptisms. But see, that was all about comfort. That really wasn't a theology type of situation. And I find uh, when I, I was on the management team of my church, and for a while I was the only woman. And I remember that I had two little children at the time. And I remember uh, we were having a discussion one day in our meeting, and we weren't making enough progress. And so one of the guys said, you know what, I think we need to do a 6 a.m. meeting tomorrow and get this finished. Can everybody do that? Is that Okay. And I looked around the circle and every one of them had a wife who would be home in the morning with their children, you know, so they could go do a 6 a.m. breakfast. And I thought, I want a wife. If I just had a wife, I could do this. You know, Um, my husband had a job, too, and he had to get there early. And so I'm like sweating and panicky because for me, that was a very complicated request last minute. And I think um, it's, it's learning to remember that each of us brings to this subject our own host of experiences and opinions and stories. And it it all matters when we actually are in the moment making choices and decisions about how to work with one another. So Nancy, I think that's so powerful because one of the things I think is lacking in ministry leadership with men and women is a simple word of consideration. I think it's one of those things where, and and across any industry, ministry or corporate or otherwise, is the ability of those in leadership to have consideration for everyone that they lead, an expectation of all with whom they are working with. And sometimes if it's in a male position and you traditionally lead with 
a group of males, the the focus is narrowed. And some of that is is unintentional, right? It's not necessarily malicious, but a subconscious lack of consideration is something I think we see predominantly. I read a whole book about unconscious bias, and it was fascinating. And of course, this um, pertains to racial discrimination as well as gender situations. But um, in particular, they were looking at gender, and they were—they've done studies. I mean, this is—you know this intuitively, but when you when you hear a study reinforces it, it's like yes, um, that men interrupt women uh, way more in in meetings. And uh, Sheryl Sandberg, in in her book, she described um, her book Lean In, uh, how a young guy will offer an idea in a brainstorming meeting even if he's only like 50% confident that it's a good idea. He, he'll, he'll just, this is generally speaking, but he'll just jump in and say his idea. And women, we tend to be so much more tentative and we hold back unless we're like 100% or at least 95% sure that it's a good idea. And so our number of words in a meeting is often less uh, than men. And we're holding back because we're afraid and in brainstorming, you just want a quantity of ideas. You know, it, it, we should all be able to say a stupid idea every once in a while because that's how you end up in a good place. Um, but that really struck me. And I, I loved this one gentleman who said, I'm starting to notice when either I interrupt or other guys interrupt and I'm, I'm stopping them and saying, wait a second, I don't think she was finished. And I love that. I mean, we have to learn to be advocates for, for one another's voices. That's a powerful story. And um, I love, it, it kind of brings back to what we were saying. That's a brother, right? That's a brother who is being an advocate. And we, who are maybe a little further down the road, even as female leaders, we also can be advocates for, for changing it. Um, one of the things I read in the book, and maybe we'll kind of close with this, is Samantha in her part of the chapter was calling back to you as an example of how you have been able to hold these kind of juxtaposing ideas of the church is amazing and wonderful and doing God's work and mission in the world. And also sometimes it goes very, very wrong. And of course there has been wounding because of that and all sorts of things that are not as God intended. Um, but I thought maybe we could close our time with you just kind of talking about how how have you gotten to a place where you are able to be an advocate and able to hold both of those things and not give up on the church and not give up on the possibility. So she writes this about you. Um, if my mom could hold on to two truths at the same time, then I could learn too no matter how contradictory they might seem. This is a story of pain and a story of triumph. Women are unsafe and they have had opportunities to lead. Men and women can work together with mutual care to achieve great impact and things can go wrong. Someone can nurture other spiritual growth and harm others. There is much at risk when men and women partner in ministry and there is much to gain. Can you just share a little bit about just your own experience of holding those two things together? Well, I know I'm not alone or unique in having experienced some church pain. And some of my church pain it was, was related to the behavior of my senior pastor. And my story was just a small story among about 
10 stories of women who felt uncomfortable or that he had crossed some lines and some could say was abusive. And, you know, when that happens with someone who at the same time was the one who opened the door of opportunity for so many women, including me, um, it's very confusing. And it, it, that is a tension that I've had to learn to manage. And I lend my voice to the process where he ended up resigning. And it was, it was a big fat mess for a long time. But uh, a lot of people have said to me, how did you not just say, forget it? You know, the church, it's just, it's just not worth it. How did, how did you not walk away? And somehow I believe the Holy Spirit was helping me to see this is, this is only one part of the story. There's so much good that also took place in that whole situation. And more importantly, the church is the hope that I have that we can ever come back to faith in, in this relationship with God that so many people are longing for. The church is God's plan A for reconciliation. And I, like many, have sometimes looked up to heaven and said, what was your plan B? Because this one is not working so great. And the church is, is sometimes a real <laughs> Let's mess. look at plan B. Um, but it is God's plan. And like Peter said, when Jesus said, you know, are you going to leave me too? He said, where else would I go? And that's very much how I feel. I, I still hold tremendous hope for the church. And even though we see these headlines of some people who've gotten it wrong, um, it is, an, is so uh, out of balance because there are literally thousands of wonderful, godly men and women doing good ministry in all kinds of churches of various sizes, literally all over the world. And I've had the chance to meet so many of them. And they inspire me and they give me hope. And I say, we can do this. And men and women, let's just put our big boy and big girl pants on and and respect each other and treat each other as brothers and sisters and root for one another and celebrate when we have a victory and kind of uh, moan together when it doesn't go right and, and just learn how to do life in the church together in a way that the rest of the world on the outside won't look and say, oh, what a mess they are, but they'll look and say, now that's what partnership and love really look like. That's what I want to be a part of. And so I'm going to keep trying. And I think we all have to just every day show up and give it our very best. Well, we needed to hear that today. And I'm so thankful that you are just staying in the midst of it, staying strong and staying hopeful. Thank you so much for writing this book. Um, for those of you that want to get it, how can we get this? I guess it's everywhere, right, Nancy? It's not hard to find books. Well, I don't know if it's everywhere, but it's easy to get on Amazon. I know that. That's the easiest thing I can say. It's called Next Sunday. And uh, we just hope it'll stir up a dialogue that people, we know some people where different generations in a family are both reading it so they can talk about it together. Um, I know a church staff that's reading it together. So I just celebrate stirring up dialogue. And uh, I, there's a lot of things in the book various people won't agree with, we're okay with that. We're just trying to say, hey, what about this? And let's talk about this. Um, like good families do, right? Let's have a family meeting and talk about what's working and what isn't. Yes. Well, you have done that. You've, you've made a way for us to have a dialogue about it. And I know that that's rippling out. And we're so thankful to have you. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for being part of our Chicago team over there. Yes, I can't wait 
till November. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you again. We appreciate you being with us. Well, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Lead Bold Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Nancy as much as we did. Thank you for your patience in the echo and the sound. We hope you had a chance to really dig into some of the depth of discussion that Nancy had to share with us. We encourage you to check out her book next Sunday, An Honest Discussion of the Future of the Church. You can get that on Amazon. It's an incredible read and something that is really enjoyable amongst different demographics and age groups as well. So check that out. If you're interested in learning more about us at Lead Bold, you can find us at leadingbold.org. If you'd like to get more information for our Chicago conference, tickets are on sale. You don't want to miss it four weeks away. And we hope to see you around in the Lead Bold community. Until then, Lead Bold.